0: Hey, you guys know my wife, Robin McGraw, has Robin McGraw Revelation, which is a great skincare product, and one of hers is called Let There Be Bright. This is a triple action brightening serum. It brightens the complexion and even skin tone with this seriously fast-acting serum that combines Lumaskin, lactic acid, and vitamin C. It's RobinMcGrawRevelation.com. That's the only place you can get it. And right now, you get 30% off all products. Just use code RMR30. RMR30. The trial of Amber Hilling, the beautiful bride accused of shoving her young husband through a glass window, and watching him fall 17 stories to his death, had all the makings of a must-see trial, including a gorgeous and seemingly unapologetic defendant who showed up to court not in an orange jumpsuit, but in tight skirts, blown out highlighted hair, and high heels. Despite Amber's insistence that she was innocent and a victim of long-term abuse, who had acted purely in self-defense, the way she looked on the outside and the way she presented herself in court seemed to tell a different story. A story that Amber's family says the media ran wild with and spun so out of control that the jury never even had a chance to see the real Amber. The narrative took on a life of its own and painted Amber as a femme fatale or black widow of sorts a sensationalized character of a woman who was dangerously beautiful, and in fact, deadly. To this day, Amber's family believes that what they call this false portrayal of their daughter swayed the jurors in her trial. They also believe the jury never got the full story. In this episode, you'll hear what Amber's parents say they believe could have changed everything. And you'll hear Amber tell her story in her own words. It was the very last time she ever spoke out about what happened, before something unthinkable happened, something you'll never see coming. You're listening to episode four of Beautiful Victim or Killer Wife, Mystery and Murder, analysis by Dr. Phil. Amber Hilberling made what many considered a shocking choice when she turned down what prosecutors believed was a generous plea deal. If she had agreed, Amber would have spent just five years behind bars, five years at most, because she would actually have probably spent less time because of all the ways that she could have cut down the actual sentence she received in the plea deal. Credit for time served, good time credits. Had she taken that offer, quite possibly, she would be out of prison today and with her now eight-year-old son Levi, watching him grow up. But instead, she made a decision that would change the course of her life forever. Amber chose to take her chances at trial and put her life In the hands of a jury. Amber was so convinced of her innocence that she refused to plead guilty to something she says she did not do. She could not bear it, but at the time Amber didn't know how big of a risk she was taking. Amber's parents say there is so much evidence that no one knows of or that wasn't heard at the trial and they are sure if someone had truly heard Amber's story, her complete story, that she may have walked out of that courtroom a free woman to raise her innocent child. But that didn't happen. As I said in the last episode, it took a jury just three short hours to reach a verdict and recommend sentence for Amber, a sentence of 25 years in prison. And the judge upheld the 25-year term. The irony of Amber's sentence was not lost on anyone. Amber pushed Josh from the 25th floor of their Tulsa condo building, and Amber would spend 25 years of her life behind bars. Listen again to the moment as Josh fell through the sky that changed Amber's life forever.
1: I just saw someone jump out of their window. The glass broke and he fell
2: down
0: investigators say 23-year-old joshua hilberling fell from the 25th floor of the
2: university tower
1: investigators say the deadly plunge was the result of an argument between hibberling and his pregnant wife amber
2: police arrested and booked the 19-year-old on a first-degree murder complaint
0: a witness says josh came out facing forward the state says that would mean he was pushed from behind and proves hilberling's intent
2: she said she was only trying to get him off her when she pushed him and as soon as he fell through the window, she ran to it. She says she went downstairs to where he was and rolled him onto his back and kissed him and was crying and hysterical. Amber Helberling and her grandmother were in a
1: police interrogation room waiting to talk to a detective and they were unaware they were being recorded.
2: I wonder if his parents know yet. They were right. (laughs) They kept saying, if we stay together, I'm gonna kill him. No, I don't deserve to live. For the rest of my life, everyone's going to think I'm a murderer. I'm a horrible person who could do that. Who could do that? Push my husband and make
0: him fall out the window. I killed him. Guilty. That's the verdict jurors handed down to Amber Hilberling.
1: It took less than three hours for the jury to come back with that guilty verdict for second-degree murder.
0: In late April of 2013, Amber's sentence was upheld and she would have to wait over a year just to get a chance to retry her case. But she was determined to keep fighting. Amber insisted she was innocent and could not accept spending 25 years in prison for an accident that occurred when she says she was only trying to protect herself and, more importantly, her unborn child. But on August 27, 2014, the State Court of Criminal Appeals unanimously denied Amber's appeal. The appeals court stated any rational trier of fact could find beyond a reasonable doubt that Hilberling's conduct was imminently dangerous and that she evinced a depraved mind in extreme disregard for human life. Amber had lost again. It was over and it appeared she was now out of options. I need to take a pause for a minute to talk about how this appellate process works because a lot of people, I think, misunderstand this. When you take your case up on appeal, you're not retrying the case. You're not retrying the facts. You're not getting a second bite at the apple where you get to tell your story a second time. When you appeal the case, you basically appeal the case on points of law. It has nothing to do with the facts of the case unless you can prove prosecutorial misconduct, such as maybe they withheld evidence or show that the DA made inflammatory or prejudicial statements. And that usually happens in closing argument. Or you show the prosecution used bias in selecting the jury. And that bias can be racial, ethnic, or religious. And on the rarest of occasions, You can argue that the verdict was against the greater weight and preponderance of the evidence, that the jury just got it wrong, and it's got to be really clear, but that is very rare. The only thing you can appeal is if you feel that the court has made a mistake according to the law, a mistake of maybe allowing something into evidence that shouldn't have been allowed in or not allowing something into evidence that should have been allowed in. Or maybe they misinterpreted a case. Maybe they wrote the jury charge inaccurately, instructed the jury improperly, so they gave the wrong definition and allowed too much of a document to be read into the record. Some legal mistake had been made. Now, typically, it just doesn't have anything to do with the facts of the case. The record stands as it was at trial, and the appellate court rules on these issues of law. In this case, the trial record stood pretty much as it was at trial and would only have been changed if the appellate court found that there's been some error made at the trial court level. And that just was not the case. Without that evidence that something had been erroneously handled, or the elements that I discussed just a few minutes ago, then they're not going to send it back to the trial court level to be retried, and they're certainly not going to vacate the verdict and let the person go. They did not find substantial errors. They did not find any reason to do this. So, this wasn't that she was convicted twice. It was only that they didn't find any major errors or misconduct that caused them to set this aside. Now, again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just telling you off the top of my head what my understanding of the process is after spending most of my professional career in the litigation arena. But be that as it may, as I say, she lost her appeal. But Amber's parents, Rhonda and Brian, refused to give up. Even if the courts wouldn't see it, they were determined to show the world a different side of their daughter, a side they knew and loved. A daughter who was nothing like the husband killer she had been portrayed as in the media.
1: Because of social media being a a worldwide event, you could have moved it to Australia and she couldn't have got a fair trial. Our system's broken. It's broken. It, It was written a long time ago and it isn't for modern technology. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram weren't around. No one in this world could get a fair trial. When everyone can go home and read this stuff and and have news stories about it, we were on every channel known to man.
0: That's why Amber's family asked me to sit down with her from her new home behind bars and listen to her story top to bottom in a way they felt the jury never did. They truly believed that if I sat down with Amber face to face from behind bars, she could say whatever she wanted without restrictions or risk. And they were sure that if she did that, not only would I believe her story, but that the millions watching would believe their daughter as well. I made no promises, but I did agree that I would hear Amber out and I would give her a chance to speak her truth. And I would examine the case objectively. I wanted to hear what Amber herself had to say in an environment outside a courtroom where every move she made was criticized. She had already lost her husband, her freedom, and the chance to be a mother to her son Levi. What would Amber say to me when she literally had nothing left to lose? But Amber's parents weren't the only ones standing behind and still fighting for their beloved child. It's important to remember that Josh's parents and family suffered the ultimate tragedy. And not only did Josh's death cut them to the very core, but what Amber was accusing him of hurt almost as much. Josh's family believed Amber was slandering their son and doing so when he was no longer around to defend himself, thanks to her. Even though Amber's seven-day trial was over, The he said, she said continued outside court. As Amber claimed, she didn't deserve her 25 year sentence. Josh's mother Jean said, quote, the trial was fair. The evidence presented convinced the jury to find Amber guilty of second degree murder. Accusations have been made saying our family set out to have Amber charged with murder. That's nonsense. We supported the plea deal the DA offered to Amber to plead guilty. The deal would have allowed Amber to spend as little as two and a half years in jail and be home on parole to raise her child. We felt that deal would show her mercy and allow her to walk her son through the doors of school on his first day. Yet Amber refused the deal offered. Amber's family accused Josh of domestic abuse. He sustained two concussions, a broken finger, a chipped tooth, and eventually a huge and deep laceration, requiring stitches and staples to close, from Amber hitting Josh with a floor lamp. Mrs. Whitlock has accused Josh of being discharged from the Air Force for manufacturing and selling drugs. If that were true, the Air Force would not have given Josh an honorable discharge. The defense stated Joshua was a drug addict, yet the autopsy revealed there were no drugs or alcohol in his system at the time of his death. Our family is striving to grieve and move forward. We have no interest in harboring resentment or ill feelings towards anyone. We wish Amber the best. Levi has lost both parents. The hopes, dreams, and goals that Joshua held are gone from this earth forever. I forgive Amber and her family. End of quote. Well, Amber's mother, Rhonda, wasn't hearing it. She insists to this very day that her daughter was not the aggressor and she didn't appreciate Josh being painted as the victim in the relationship. And Amber's mother insists she isn't just basing these feelings on what her daughter told her, she's basing it on the facts. Here's what Rhonda and her husband, Brian, had to say in response to Josh's mother.
1: I understand she didn't want her son to look bad. As any mother, as a mother of of six, I understand you want to perceive your kids as perfect and that they would never hurt a woman, but he did. And he even admitted that because the facts don't lie. Amber and Josh's marriage was less than perfect. Josh was a very abusive, manipulating, controlling drug addict. Amber started complaining of Him going out partying, going to strip clubs and bars, and leaving her out of the the picture. Shortly after they were married, Josh and Amber moved to Alaska. When Amber got up there, we found out Amber and Josh were arguing a lot. The police had been called several times. Josh and Amber's arguments were becoming physical. Amber was being slapped, kicked, thrown against the wall, even trying to break her breast implants with his hands. To make matters worse, not only did we find out that Josh was using drugs, but we found out he was dealing drugs as well. She would call crying because you know a plate was thrown. I wasn't happy with the dinner, um, a slap on her leg. You know, she had bruises on her breast. There was a window that was broken in the bedroom just an hour before that. He threw a laundry basket and broke the window.
0: This incident Amber's mother mentions in Alaska is not in doubt. Amber did file a complaint on January 2nd of 2011, and Josh admitted to police, grabbing Amber's breast before she ran to the neighbor. Rhonda also stated that Josh had been kicked out of the Air Force for drug abuse. I myself did get a look at a copy of the discharge, and while much of it was hard to read, the part that was legible did say drug abuse. In Amber's parents' minds, the abuse in Alaska, the constant arguing after moving back to Tulsa, Josh's anger towards Amber on the day of his fall, and a photo of a bruise and scratches on Amber's shoulder, and of course, the other broken window that day, all pointed to a pattern of abuse with Amber as the victim. Rhonda was furious because she felt these facts were all turned around on Amber, or just ignored. It was Amber who had called the police on Josh. It was Josh who was on drugs, not Amber, and certainly never when she was pregnant. Amber's parents never in a million years thought something like this would ever take place. In fact, it was a shock their daughter was even in this situation to begin with. Amber came from a good home. Her parents were loving and successful. Her stepfather was a doctor. She had grown up with everything she needed and love. How could there ever be a circumstance under which their perfect daughter Amber could end up spending much of her adult life locked behind bars? Amber's parents knew she was taken down to the police station, but they believed only as a witness. And they thought since Rhonda's mother Gloria was there, she would protect Amber. They said Amber was super close with her grandma and her grandmother knew all about Amber being abused by Josh. They figured grandma would back up Amber's story to the police and Amber would be released and free to grieve. Never in their wildest dreams, never in their worst nightmares did they expect their daughter to be arrested or charged with anything, let alone murder. Rhonda believes her daughter's statements that were recorded in that interrogation room were taken out of context to drive a different story, a different narrative than what actually happened. Never were there news reports of the other lines Amber said that showed her sadness, grief, and self-blame for what they believed was an accident. Here are some things Amber said that didn't get much attention. Did
2: you intentionally... No! Of okay. course not! Okay. <laughs> and I would just want to know what was going through his head. If he knew he was gonna die. <laughs> if he said a prayer, or if he cursed my name, or if he just thought that he could catch himself too. My last thought was please catch yourself. I wish we could just go back and know that if <sighs> I pushed him it, it was you gonna happen. I'm afraid to, Josh. Josh needs me.
0: I'm not even going to be able to meet him in heaven anymore. I think you will agree that most people hearing this can understand this was an emotional woman. for lack of a better term, freaking out that she had just accidentally killed her husband. This wasn't some kind of confession that slipped out because she didn't think anyone was watching or listening. Amber's parents say, for two years, the media pushed the story, quote, rich kills military hero, and they pushed it daily. But the truth is they saw it was a drug addict who was kicked out of the military was accidentally killed by a seven-months-pregnant tiny girl through an incredibly thin glass window. They say in the couple's short marriage, the police had been called several times by Amber, not Josh. They say the jury didn't hear any of these facts. And had they heard any of these facts, had they heard all of these facts, would that have not been basis for at least reasonable doubt? In fact, Amber's family has a laundry list of things they believe were unfair during Amber's trial. The fact that Josh's drug history was not being introduced. The fact that the media tainted the jury. The fact that Josh's father testified Josh was going to leave Amber, implying that was motivation for her anger. When in reality, Josh's text messages showed no sign he was planning to leave his pregnant wife. And the protective order Josh filed against Amber was allowed. Amber's family said the protective order was something Amber and Josh laughed about together and that they did this to appease his family. By allowing that protective order to be brought up in trial, the prosecution was enabled to infer Amber had been abusive in the past, so abusive that Josh was scared enough to get an order of protection. But still, no mention of accusations about Josh could be presented without opening up a huge can of worms about all the bad things Amber was accused of doing. While their list was long, one thing at the bottom struck me in particular. It was the reference to Amber's white tank top being a spouse beater. Now, I have to say, I've spent a lot of years at trial. I've heard a lot of things argued. I've heard a lot of words debated. And I thought including this in this trial was outrageously pejorative. I thought it was outrageously prejudicial again amber's family felt that the justice system had worked against amber it had basically silenced her and they wanted me to be the one to allow her to speak her truth i flew to oklahoma and sat down with amber at the mabel bassett correction facility and she was eager to share her story for the first time
2: i want my side of the story out i want all the things that the jury wasn't allowed to hear that the judge ruled were inadmissible. I believe that if they were talked about in open court, then I don't. I don't believe the jury would have convicted me. If I accomplish anything, I, I want to accomplish that. That people hear the truth. At trial, the picture was painted that Josh was just an innocent bystander, and I was a crazy, pregnant, violent woman that ran up and caught Josh off guard and killed him they weren't ever allowed to know the real story of the violence that had taken place on several occasions before in which he had been abusive.
0: Now, along with studying this case, I've read the entire trial transcript. So I know the story the jury heard, and it's important to realize that not only did these 12 people not believe Amber, but they thought she deserved a sentence of 20 years longer than the original plea deal offered her. Amber needed to say something differently if she planned to change anyone's mind. If she was going to tell me the same story she told in court, I mean, come on. The tried and true definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. If she wanted a different opinion, she was going to have to tell a different story, and I don't mean one that was made up. She needed to tell, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. I told Amber she was going to have to take a different approach or she better prepare to spend the full 25 years behind bars. Mystery and Murder, analysis by Dr. Phil. Hey, you know, we're coming into springtime and it looks like we're going to have a lot of time sitting around home, so shopping online is the smart play. You can give yourself a springtime spruce up and enjoy brighter, healthier skin thanks to my wife, Robin McGraw's Revelations Brightening Trio. This unique triple-action skin brightening kit will help you shine bright all day, every day by eliminating sunspots, rejuvenating dull skin, and restoring your youthful glow. This trio features Let There Be Bright, Starlight Face Bright, and Twinkle Twinkle, You're a Star. And you can only get them at RobinMcGrawRevelation.com. And right now, you get 30% off all products. 30% off all products. Just use code RMR30. RMR30. Before we get back to the story we're talking about today, I want to share something with you. You're about to enjoy a trailer of what's coming up on Dr. Phil for the rest of the month of May. I've made a decision that we've all reached saturation levels. What I call category fatigue. We have been looking and listening and thinking about coronavirus and COVID-19 7 for about six weeks now. And I am of the strong belief that we need a break. Let's get back to some of the content that we really find interesting, entertaining, educational, relatable, informative, and instructive. And right before we got shut down for the pandemic, we had just taped a series of shows that we had compiled to air in May. That's a time that we save some of our favorite best shows for, because that's an important time for our advertisers. So, I've made the decision for the remainder of this month, we're going to do a look back and show all new original shows that were shot before the pandemic. They're back on stage, back in studio, exciting, full of energy, and really, really good shows. Here's a peek at what you're going to see for the rest of the month of May. All this May. Dr. Phil is back with all new shows, recorded before the stay-at-home order.
1: I was an actor, a model, a Hollywood body double.
0: A mysterious illness.
1: If I don't force-feed myself, my body will go into an
0: attack. She feels atomic hunger and feels as if she's being electrocuted all new drama you've been putting men ahead of her for a long time you have been doing nothing but criminal activities am i going to pack her off somewhere for 90 days so you can take a break hell no all new stories. 74-year-old Norma says she's in love with three different men. She's never even met in person. She says they are stuck in foreign countries. The grand total that you have sent to Jeff is $223,710.56. I was trying to help him get home. For a quarter million dollars, you could buy an airplane and fly home. Dr. Phil is all new. All this May. I knew there was something Amber was not telling somebody, and it wasn't just what the jury heard or didn't hear, it went beyond that. For some reason, her story was not resonating. How had someone who claimed she was the victim been painted as such a villain, and if Amber was telling the truth? I wanted to help her present her story in a way that people could understand. I have to say, I am a fan of the jury system. My belief is that the jury tends to get it right. I've often said they have a collective IQ of at least 1,200, and that's a lot of brain power. And when they have no skin in the game, when they are objective and they bring all that collective brain power, they're going to come to the right decision based on what they hear. Now, the operative part of that statement is based on what they hear. I've heard so many people say, how in the hell could that jury not convict O.J. Simpson? Well, the people that are saying that heard a very different story than the jury heard. They heard the story that was told in the media. The jury didn't get to hear a big portion of what you and I heard. They got to hear just what was allowed into the court record and that record excluded a lot of evidence. Trust me, a lot of things that we heard, a lot of things that we read that made it pretty clear what was going on, they just simply didn't get to hear. Most of this evidence was negative towards OJ, and based on what they heard and based on what they were asked in the jury room, they probably got it right. And I don't mean they were correct in finding him not guilty. I mean the prosecution didn't meet their burden. That's the issue here. Did they meet their burden? And when you get back into the jury room, you get instructions and definitions of what a count that's been filed against the defendant include. It might have five elements. And they say, do you find this element has been proven. Do you find that this element has been proven? Do you find that this element has been proven? And only if you find that all five elements of a charge have been proven, can you then check guilty. And if one of those five elements hasn't been proven, then you have to say not guilty. So depending on what they heard, and whether or not the prosecution met the burden of proof to answer those specific questions that define that charge, then they have no choice if they're following the law but to answer the way they did. Did they get it right in saying he was not guilty? No. Did they get it right in saying the prosecution did not meet their burden of proof? Probably given the fact that what got into the record didn't meet the elements of the charge. The most important question Amber needed to answer was the question that this entire case centered around. Did you push him out that window?
2: No, I did not.
0: Yes, you did. I didn't. You did push him out that window. Did you push him?
2: I pushed him off of me.
0: And he fell out the window?
2: And he tripped backwards and fell out the window.
0: There is no question that she pushed him and that push led to his death. The mystery lies not in the question of did she push him or not, the mystery lies in the intent of that push. Was it a push in self-defense? Was it a push in anger? Was it a push with such reckless disregard as to be intentional? So I ask her again, did you push him? And I wanted to give her the but-for test. But for pushing him, would he be alive today?
2: Maybe not. Maybe he would. A lot of things played into that day. I mean, I could have gotten hurt. Who knows?
0: Okay. So your push was the first link in the chain that wound him up on that h floor parking garage. Therefore, A leads to B, B leads to C, C leads to D. D is dead. She was A, but for you pushing him, he's not dead. You understand, that's why you're here. In asking her but for, I was showing that Amber's push was the first link in the chain, and she needed to acknowledge that. And when Amber made the connection, her answer changed. At this point, Amber was emotional, seeming to drop her guard a little and tear up. Amber was clearly still feeling guilty. But was it the guilt of someone who committed murder, or rather the conscience of a person who never wanted this and now has to live with unintended consequences?
2: Nobody's ever put it like that, and maybe called me out on what's going on in my head.
0: Let's go to that day. Had you said you wanted a divorce?
2: Yes, a couple of days prior.
0: Amber would clarify that the main argument at the time was the fact that Josh was going to Tennessee with his friends for a concert tour, and Amber did not want him to go. She says she knew Josh was also planning to start selling pills again. Amber said Josh considered it an easy way to make money, and he had done it before while they were dating. And was he going to Memphis, you say?
2: He was supposed to go to Tennessee and a couple of other states, some concert tour with his friends.
0: And this was, in your understanding, to do what?
2: He was going to start selling pills again.
0: Okay, and you said he had started getting high again? Yes, sir. Had he been getting high leading up to this day?
2: Here and there, yes. When he went to boot camp, he went through withdrawals because he was a full-blown drug addict when we were dating. He was a drug dealer.
0: Was he high this day? No, not that I know of. Well, the autopsy said he was clean.
2: We had just woke up at probably 1.30 that afternoon. We were up all night fighting. About? His decision to go to Tennessee because my dad's wedding was that weekend and we were supposed to be in the wedding party.
0: Why do you care if he goes to Tennessee or your dad's wedding? You're getting a divorce.
2: We had made up at that point. I had asked him to leave a couple of days prior and he did leave. And about 2 a.m., he calls me to come pick him up, saying he's sorry, he wants to be a better husband.
0: I've seen that text message. You said, are you drunk? He
2: was at, I, I he was at a party. I'm sure he had been drinking, but and probably smoking marijuana. So but. you've
0: been fighting all night. Did you resolve it before you went to bed, or did you just go to bed?
2: No, we just went to sleep.
0: Amber said they woke up the next day only to pick up right where they left off. Josh was still going on this trip and not staying by her side. Okay, so he wakes up the next morning. He's packed up and we see his bag sitting there by the TV stand. Now they haven't shipped your stuff yet. So you guys are traveling pretty light. So this is pretty much his stuff. And you're upset about that. Even though you're still getting a divorce, you don't want him to leave.
2: I want him to make better decisions. Obviously our priorities were different and I wasn't gonna get him to see that.
0: Okay, so this is the TV and the window. So he was around the television, in front of it?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: He was standing up? Mm-hmm. yes. Okay, and when he was standing up, what was it that you said to him that made him turn on you and grab you?
2: We just started talking about how he was really leaving and I was gonna go to the wedding by myself and it just escalated.
0: You say he grabbed you around the shoulders. What was it you said that triggered him to lunge at you?
2: I called him a coward.
0: Were those the last words he heard from you? Yes. So why did she call him a coward?
2: Because he was leaving. Everything just got too hard. And he got kicked out of the Air Force. And he didn't want to go find a regular job because he had been a drug dealer before, so he knew how much money he could make. Levi was two months away from being born. And we didn't have a diaper.
0: And how did you say it?
2: I said, you're a coward.
0: Tell me like you said it.
2: I said, you're a coward. Except I was yelling.
0: Did you say, you're a coward? But I need to hear the way you said it. It's important.
2: I said, you're just a coward. Except I was screaming and he reached out and grabbed me and I was pregnant and he didn't care.
0: How loud did you scream it?
2: Loud enough to piss him off.
0: That's what I need to hear. Why can't you do it?
2: Because I'm not angry anymore. I have no anger left in me.
0: But you have that moment inside you. He lunged at you and you pushed him off of you and the next thing you know
2: i was just there was just a broken window i was still i was still two or three feet away people assume we were standing right next to this window and i should have known better
0: but you were still that far away
2: yes it was probably two or three feet because i remember having to rush to the window and i didn't see him falling i just saw him hit the ground
0: he was leaving you seven months pregnant to go deal drugs That's how I felt. Did you say you're a coward?
2: No.
0: I need you to go back to that moment and tell me how you said it to him.
2: I said, you're a coward. That's exactly what I said.
0: And he just grabbed you?
2: Yes, he reached out and grabbed me around the shoulders.
0: But if you got up in his face and you told him, challenge his manhood, challenge him, it makes sense. I can see it you're leaving town and I'm pregnant, I would have no trouble getting up in his face and saying, you're a coward. I would have no trouble doing it. I have no trouble seeing it. But I ain't hearing it from you. But if that's your story, that's your story. Weren't you really pissed? He's leaving you seven months pregnant. He's broken one window out of your damn apartment already throwing his childish fit with a laundry basket. Now he's packing up and leaving with his buddies. You know how many times he texted and called them, saying, are you coming, are you coming, are you coming? You know how anxious he was to get away from you, to get out that door?
2: I wanted him to grow up. His friends didn't have any responsibilities except getting him high and making him think that selling pills is the quickest way to take care of a baby. That's not the man I expected to take care of me.
0: But he's leaving you behind. It's a cowardly thing to do. So you told him? Yeah. I explained to Amber that for her to have been sentenced to prison for 25 years, the prosecution should have to reasonably convince a jury that you could foresee that you're shoving him. Self-defense or whatever the reason, it had to be foreseeable that you could push him and he is going to fall out of that window. The butt for test we talked about earlier now came into play, because if what Amber was saying was true, she was not the first link in the chain. The first link was Josh grabbing her. Then Amber tried to protect herself and her child by pushing him off, and he stumbled through the picture-frame thin glass window. Josh grabbing Amber was actually the first domino to fall. His action caused his ultimate death. So let's think about that for a minute. But for her pushing him, he would not have fallen through the glass. You can't stop there. You have to go further back. But for him grabbing her, she wouldn't have pushed him, and therefore he wouldn't have fallen through the glass. So if you apply my but-for test, you have to find that first link in the chain. And it appears to me that the first link in that chain was him grabbing her, which triggers her pushing him off, which results in him stumbling and falling through the glass. You shouldn't be here unless he was standing at that window looking to see if his friends were pulling up and you ran at him from behind and put both hands in the middle of his back and shoved him out that window face first. Did you do that?
2: Absolutely not.
0: There is evidence that they heard fast running feet, and then he went out the window. Did you run up behind him and shove him from behind and push him out that window?
2: No. The blinds were closed, so the window wasn't even visible. So I he see. couldn't have been looking out the window. Well,
0: it's verticals. So he could pull it to the side and look out.
2: He wasn't looking out the window. We, we weren't next to the window when we were fighting. We were a few feet away.
0: No evidence that you were next to the window. Right. There's only one way you could push him out that window with intent and that is if he had his back to you looking out the window and you ran up from behind and pushed him out that window. Did you push him out that window?
2: No, I didn't. I mean, the, the injuries that were shown in the picture speak for themselves, there was an altercation in which I defended myself.
0: You had scratches on the back of your left shoulder?
2: Scratches and a handprint.
0: And you had a cut on your hand that's from, from the glass?
2: That's from grabbing the window when I went to look down.
0: So you didn't run from behind and push him? No. There's no evidence that you did. And that's the only way you could get to him out that window? Well, it doesn't matter to me whether you pushed him in self-defense or you pushed him just because you were just pissed off at him. That doesn't matter to me. You understand? Right. What matters to me is, is it is reasonably foreseeable that you pushing him would pitch him out a 25-floor window to his death. Because as you know, the definition in Oklahoma, you have to commit an act that is intimately dangerous to another person. Correct with a depraved state of mind
2: and no regard for human life
0: and depraved means evil perverted i mean this is bad stuff
2: right and not feel a thing for it
0: amber wished the jury would have understood this she felt like her words were twisted against her i showed amber a note card with all the statements she had made to her grandmother written on it in order I asked if she really thought a jury would find her innocent even with these statements being used against her. Her reaction showed the weight those words held to her. She was her own worst enemy. Her own words had been analyzed and critiqued over and over and used to say she was a murderer. I told Amber, look, you have to forgive yourself. You have to stop blaming yourself for making those statements. I told her that from where I stood, what she said wasn't bad. What? Amber looked shocked. She was surprised to hear me say, from where I stand, the things you said don't look bad. I held up the card with the bullet points of all her statements one more time. The very words used to place her under arrest before she could leave that police station and put her where she is today, locked away from Levi. I looked her in the eye and said, I think this may be the card from the very beginning that made me believe in you the most. Amber began to break down. Somebody understood. I told her these are not the sentiments of a cold and calculating murderer. These are the sentiments of someone that has a full capacity to feel and own and hold herself accountable. These things Amber had said to me held way more weight than what the jailhouse informant snitch Bonnie testified Amber had said, which was, I killed the bastard. Many of you know that, among other things, I am trained in forensic psychology, and when I looked at all of Amber's emotional utterances in that police interrogation room, what I heard was very different than what the police characterized those words to me. What I heard her say that I found so telling and important were statements like, I'm such a bad person, I don't deserve to live. I don't deserve to be a mother. I'm not going to go to heaven. All of these things that some others viewed as admissions of guilt or as some kind of confession, I viewed as obvious feelings of remorse. These were not the words of a murderer. These were the emotional words of a woman who had just lost it all. These were the words of a woman that had the capacity to be empathic for the man that had fathered her child, the man that she had loved. She genuinely cared about this person that had lost his life. And she was beating herself up for playing any role in it at all. Not for intentionally committing a crime, but for just being part of this at all. But I did want to hear Amber answer one very important question. There was one huge red flag that I believe worked against Amber. In the entire time she was talking to her grandmother in that interrogation room, telling her grandmother exactly what had happened, why did she never once utter the words that she had pushed him in self-defense? The fact that Amber never said that in the immediate moments after Josh's death, well, that just didn't look good. It made her story of self-defense seem like an excuse that she came up with later. But when I asked Amber about that, I believe her explanation did make sense.
2: I can see where it would look bad, yes.
0: I don't think it looks bad at all. At one point, your grandmother said, were you both struggling? Mm -hmm. There was a physical confrontation going on. Yes. You were telling her all these things that were happening in your head. You were saying, I don't deserve to be a mom. This should be hurting more. They kept saying, if we stay together, I'm going to kill him. But you never said you were defending yourself. Why not?
2: My grandma knew better. She knew what kind of marriage it was. She knew what had been happening in the recent days leading up to this. So I didn't have to explain it to her. My last thought was, please catch yourself. <laughs> and I would just want to know what was going through his head if he knew he was going to die. I wish I could just go back and know that if I pushed him, it was going to
0: happen. And that's the key point here. Amber had no reason to believe that this could ever happen. Now, if there's a level of negligence, if someone wants to say you shouldn't be doing anything physical near a window and you should always know the risk, well, while there might be some conscious assumption of risk there, there's also the deal that this glass was picture frame thin. I've been in high-rise buildings all across this country, and I can pretty much assume that I can throw a chair at any one of those skyscraper windows, and it will just bounce right off, hardly even leaving a mark. At least I don't assume that the glass is so thin that it is actually going to shatter and fall to the streets below. Now, I always say, and said this a few minutes ago, that I do trust our system of justice. And at that time, Amber did have yet another appeal in the works. I believed at the time that as her appeal moved forward, there was a shot that Amber would have a chance to set all things she and her family felt had gone wrong right. Because if you look at intention and you look at foreseeability, then you have to step back and wonder what was in the minds of the people involved. And I was just not sure justice was served here. However, I want to make really clear, I did not think that all of this could be vacated. I didn't think everybody could just go home and Josh's death be erased. Absolutely not. But I felt after leaving Amber that day, as those metal gates locked behind me, with her trapped behind them for what could be more than two decades. It just made me feel that her case did deserve more careful consideration and moving forward should be looked at from a standpoint of negligence. Now think about what we mean when we say negligence. Negligence means that you fail to do what a reasonable person would do in the same or similar circumstances. So you have to ask yourself, would a reasonable person have foreseen that someone could fall backwards through a 25th floor window in a high-rise? This is the first time I have ever heard of that in my entire life. So would a reasonable person have foreseen this? And I think the answer to that is probably no. I think anybody who would see somebody just lean up against a window and fall through it would be shocked. So I don't think a reasonable person would expect that to happen. And you can say, well, it was stupid. Well, we don't put people in jail for being stupid. If we did, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you. And you might not be there listening to me because we all do stupid things. Fortunately, that's usually not a crime. If what Amber said to me is true, then her story is certainly a cautionary tale. It's a tale of how domestic violence can escalate so quickly into a dangerous and deadly situation and can ruin so many lives when nobody intended that result. As I left that room inside the Mabel Bassett Correction Facility, I could already see a small change from Amber. I could see a new ray of light and it was a ray of hope. She had just spoken with someone who treated her with respect and who didn't prejudge her from all the news reports, internet stories and quotes from the infamous interrogation room. She was not going to give up. She now could cling to the anticipation and the chance that maybe one day in the not too distant future, she could get back to her son Levi. But the sad fact is, that was the last time I would talk to or see Amber Heerling alive. Because very soon, this story would take yet another unthinkable turn. Soon, for the second time in this tragic tale, a phone call would take place that no parent ever hopes to receive. The same call that Josh's parents, Patrick and Jean, received only a little over five years ago. A phone call that says, your child has died. On Monday, October 23rd, 2016, Rhonda and Brian received a call from the prison. All that was said on the other line was, she is dead. What? What happened? How did it happen? Why? Was it an accident? Had Amber killed herself? Had she been murdered? I'm going to answer that and all the outstanding questions in this story in the series finale, part five. Beautiful victim or killer wife? Mystery and murder. Analysis by Dr. Phil. This May, Dr. Phil is back with all new shows recorded before the stay-at-home order.
1: I was an actor, a model, a Hollywood body double.
0: A mysterious illness.
1: If I don't force-feed myself,
0: my body will go into an attack. She feels atomic hunger and feels as if she's being electrocuted. All new drama. You've been putting men ahead of her for a long time.
1: You have been doing nothing but criminal activities.
0: Am I gonna pack her off somewhere for 90 days so you can take a break? Hell no. All new stories. 74-year-old Norma says she's in love with three different men she's never even met in person. She says they are stuck in foreign countries. The grand total that you have sent to Jeff is $223,710.56. I was trying to help him get home. For a quarter million dollars, you could buy an airplane and fly home. Dr. Bill is all new. All this May.